Thank you, choir, for that beautiful testimony and song. And we certainly do gather together today to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And so we want to read from uh, the Gospel of the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we're going to actually be in verses 19 through 29. I told Miss Cindy wrong in my passage that I had for this Sunday, but we're going to be in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29 as we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus today. And this is a popular story. Everybody knows the story of Jesus. Even unbelievers know the story of Jesus and His resurrection. And so what I'd like to do today is let's read this passage from the Gospel of John, and then I'll pray and we'll reflect on what the passage means and how it should change our lives, how it should change our view of life in general as we see that Jesus is the King of life. And so let's read together John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. God's Word says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that those who believe in your Son, Jesus, are blessed. And Lord, I pray that you would, through your word and your spirit today, you would create in this congregation faith that they might trust in you and that they might walk after you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who maybe they've heard the gospel, maybe they know the story as well as anyone, they've seen the movies, they've heard the story, but they just don't believe that you are the true God or that Jesus is the resurrected son of the most high God. Lord, I pray that through the testimony of this word and my own testimony, that they would turn to faith in Christ and believe the gospel and be saved. Father, I pray that we who have trusted in Jesus would be spurred on to faith and good deeds, that we would trust him all the more because we know of the hope that he brings through his life. I pray that you would bless us now in Christ name. I pray. Amen. You know, life has a way of turning out as we least expect it. In fact, I would say that the one constant truth in life is that you can expect the unexpected. 
Now, I've experienced this in a number of ways, but one of the surest ways that you can uh, know to expect the unexpected is to have children. Because children will ensure that your life is full of unexpected twists and turns. I mean, I've, I've experienced that just in the, the first years of my children's lives. So, um, you know, I'm, I'll just go ahead and admit, I'm a bit of an idealist. I like to have a plan for everything. I like to, uh, to know where things are going. And I feel like to a large extent, I do pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at figuring out people and figuring out what a situation is and planning out things and knowing what the plan is and what we're going to do. But children have an, a way of upending an idealist way of life. Children have a way of ending any expectations that you might have for the way that your life will go and what it will be. So with Eden, Leah's pregnancy was pretty normal. And we were, you know, I did everything that the new father should do. I put the bed together. We painted the room. We got, you know, had all the things that a first family is going to have. Got everything organized and ready. And we got to the 40th week and we waited and we waited and we waited and Eden got bigger and bigger and bigger until the doctor was finally like, we're going to have to do a C-section. This baby ain't coming. We're going to have to, to make her come. We're going to have to cut her out. And so, you know, that's, that's fine in one sense because you can plan for that. You have surgery at 7 o'clock on a Monday and you can plan. But on the other side of that, it, it means a risk of surgery. It means uh, an extended stay in the hospital and things that new parents don't want to have to consider along with the anxiety of never having been a father or a mother to start with. Now with Logan, thankfully God was merciful and we didn't have as big of a a problem, partly because Eden blazed the way for him and and prepared us for for everything that would come with a, a child. But then Logan, when he was 10 months old, he was diagnosed with RSV, which turned into pneumonia, and it scared the local doctors to the point that they rushed us to uh, Children's Hospital in Birmingham a couple of days or a few days before Christmas. And so Logan's first Christmas, we were worried that Logan's first Christmas was going to be spent in the hospital. And instead of getting ready with all the things that you do a few days before Christmas, we were sitting in a ventilation tent with Logan in a children's hospital, praying over him that he would recover. Micah, he had his own unexpected event as well. Micah had jaundice when he was born, and so we had to leave him in the CCU unit uh, and go take care of the rest of our children while we left him. And there's nothing harder. I will go ahead and say, I know some of y'all have experienced this. Nothing harder than leaving a baby at the hospital as a parent, and especially as a mom, I can testify for Leah in that. You know, but life also has some unexpected turns in the positive sense as well. It can turn out better than you expect at times too. So while we were being trained in preparation for adopting Harmony, this idealist was a nervous wreck. Because there is nothing more uncertain to me, if you ever have been through the experience, than adopting a child. You don't have any idea what that child will be like. I was worried that the child, that she wouldn't like us or that we wouldn't bond. I was worried that there would be baggage that we would have to deal with. 
But we, when we walked onto the playground to meet Harmony for the first time, within just a few minutes, she had taken Leah's hand and was leading her around to every swing and slide and, and playing with us in that playground. And when they got ready to leave after meeting her for the first time, Harmony said, can I go stay with them? You know, God has a way of working the unexpected for our good and for His glory. But we all face unexpected events in our lives. And I don't think I'm alone in, be, in believing that with the right plan or the right amount of money or with the right amount of power, we can make things work out for our good. You know, some people think that wisdom is the way to life. So they will set out to understand the deep, dark secrets of this world. They pride themselves on knowing uh, people, knowing other people and knowing people better than they know themselves and knowing what other people don't know or for having a plan when other people are just living hand to mouth, living for the here and now. And, you know, maybe that's you. Maybe you have everything all lined out in life. You've got a plan. You're going to either you have or you're going to marry the right woman. You're going to have 2.3 children. You're going to save for retirement. You're going to go on four vacations a year. You've got everything planned out to a T. There are also those who think that wealth can provide a refuge and a hedge against the unexpected. Maybe you think that if you work hard enough, you climb the corporate ladder or you make it big, you win the lottery, whatever the next opportunity is, your wealth will bring you happiness and buy your way out of the pains of this life. And finally, you know, there are those who think that power can smooth their way through life. Perhaps you think that with enough influence, enough political capital, enough friends watching your back, you can ward off the worst that this life can bring. I hate to break it to you, but life has a way of wrecking all of your plans, draining all of your wealth, and breaking your back. Your schemes and plans may keep everything moving for a time, but the unexpected will come. Unfaithfulness, addiction, or rebellion may wreck your family, and may, uh, or a downturn in the market may drain that retirement plan that you have set up and thought would rescue you from the, the problems of life. That great wealth that you prize can be lost in an instance, regardless of how much money you have. And regardless of how much money you have, you cannot buy your way out of a cancer diagnosis. The power that, com- that comforts you can be lost with a crossword or one wrong move. And all the power in the world can't bring you back from a debilitating injury. We may think that we can control our lives, but we are helpless to stop the unexpected when it comes. The disciples of Jesus felt this more than most. They had great hopes of Jesus. So much hope that they were willing to leave their families, leave their livelihoods, and follow Jesus around in the backwoods of Judea for three years. Some, like Peter and Andrew, might have had high hopes for the wisdom that Jesus brought. After all, it was said that no one had 
the authority that Jesus had when he taught. Others, like Judas Iscariot, saw an opportunity for financial and uh, financial gain and for fame. Those who were closest to the Messiah, after all, would reap the financial benefits of the kingdom of God, I'm sure he thought. Still others, like James and John and Philip, thought that he would be the Messiah that would exact revenge on the Roman authorities and would establish a political kingdom that would rule forever. What was the power of Rome to a man who could stand on the bow of a ship and speak to a storm and calm it? But then Jesus started talking crazy saying that he was going to, going to Jerusalem to die. He said that he would rise again from the dead, and none of that made any sense. Besides, wasn't, that wasn't what they wanted in a Messiah. They didn't need a Messiah who died and rose again. They needed one who would give them wisdom and wealth and power. When they got to Jerusalem, things, uh, Jerusalem, things only got worse. It was almost like Jesus was trying to provoke the religious and political powers of his day by accepting praise as the son of David and by turning over the money-making machine of the temple. That was all the leadership needed to hate him. And sure enough, five days later, an angry mob shows up in the middle of the night, arrests Jesus, and takes him to be tried by the Jewish high court. The Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities, they both condemn Jesus to death. And these disciples watch as their high hopes for the Messiah are laid bare in the judgment of the authorities of his day. They watch as the Messiah that they had hoped for is stripped, beaten, spat upon and mocked. They watched as the Roman soldiers laid a crossbeam on his back and drove him through the streets to a hill outside of the town. They watched as the nails were driven into his hands and his feet and he was raised to hang and suffocate to to death on a cruel torture device that the Romans had invented. They watched as some of the followers had taken his limp body off of the cross and wrapped him in burial clothes and laid him in a tomb. And they watched as Roman soldiers uh, rolled a massive stone in front of that tomb, sealed it with the stamp of Pontius Pilate, and then stood in front of it to guarantee that this Messiah was dead and gone for good. All of their hope for a better life, gone. All uh, that they had learned from this wise man appeared to be useless. All the stability that they had hoped to gain from his reign lost. And worse yet, they were branded as terrorists and traitors because of their association with him. So they hid themselves away, locking doors and listening for every footstep. You can imagine when... Uh, You can imagine then why they were so uh, or they disbelieved so much the testimony of the women when the women came back from going to prepare his body on the third day and came exclaiming that he had risen again. But Jesus would not leave them in their despair. 
The same day that the women saw Jesus in the empty tomb, Jesus would appear to ten of his disciples in a locked room and he would declare, peace be with you. And he wouldn't leave a single one of his disciples in doubt. So because Thomas wasn't there when he first visited, Jesus would appear again the next Sunday to satisfy Thomas's doubt. In that moment, the disciples understood what I want you to understand right now. And that is this. Jesus is the king of life. Jesus didn't come to give us wisdom for our daily life. He didn't come to help us be more financially stable. He didn't come to grant us power over our enemies. Jesus came to defeat the true enemies that we could never conquer. Jesus came to die to atone for the sins of those who could not overcome their sins by wisdom or will, who could not cover over their sins with their wealth or their power. Jesus came to die as the substitute for us so that we could be made right with God. No amount of wisdom can make you right with God. No amount of money can make you right with God. No amount of power can make you right with God. Nothing you do can make you right with God. But Jesus, in His death and His resurrection, did what you could not do. And in His resurrection, He proved Himself to rule over this whole world, including death and hell. And He came to overcome the one thing we can all expect out of this life. The one thing we can all expect out of this life is death. Jesus, in His resurrection, defeated death for all who believe in Him. Amen. So friend, the right response to this king of life is the response that Thomas gives in verse 28. My Lord and my God. Now, this brief confession of Thomas is profound. He acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Now, by this, he doesn't mean that Jesus is just some great authority like the Muslims or the Jews believe about Jesus. You know, that he's a good teacher or a good prophet. He doesn't mean that, and he doesn't mean that he's just his master, kind of like most people in American society do. You know, if Jesus is good for you, man, then do the Jesus thing. I don't really care as long as you're doing the Jesus thing and you're not harming anybody. I don't mind. He doesn't believe that Jesus is just a Lord or a prophet or a master. He means that Jesus is the king of the universe. Jesus is the only true and rightful king of this creation. What other king has defeated death? Has King David? He's dead. Solomon? Dead. Alexander the Great? Dead. Napoleon Bonaparte? Dead. Joseph Stalin? Dead. Ronald Reagan? Dead. All great and powerful men, all dead, but Jesus is alive. Thomas's confession also admits that Jesus is God. Only God could forgive sins. Only God could raise the dead. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has done both. 
Oh, friend, this Jesus to whom Thomas confesses and to whom I now witness is the only one who can give you life. He is the only one who can forgive you of your sins and rescue you from the eternal death that is to come in hell. Won't you trust in Him today and be saved? Brothers and sisters, we serve the King of life. We serve a risen Savior who is in this world today. And He empowers us by His Spirit to live for Him. And so, won't we leave this place serving Him in this new year of of the Christian calendar as we leave this place celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and living in, in life that He gives us? Won't we serve Him in our daily lives with our talents and our gifts as He has called us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the life that You give us in Jesus. That in Him, we have resurrection in life. Lord, I pray that we would respond to that call, respond to that truth uh, by believing in Him and following after Him. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not trusted in You as their Lord and Savior, that they would believe today, that they would not rest in their wisdom or their wealth or their power, but they would trust in the resurrection of Jesus and rest in His life that they might have life. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.